Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm doing okay, I suppose. Been a pretty uneventful week. As I think I mentioned in the last episode, I wasn't feeling particularly well last week, and we aren't sure if it was COVID, and the home tests are pretty hard to come by in our area, so been quarantining just to be on the safe side. And it's been kind of boring. But the good news is, I've had some time to think about an issue that's been bothering me for quite some time. Why is Fred Flintstone the spokesperson for a line of vitamins? He didn't seem like he was particularly healthy, and your average caveman had a life expectancy of about 25 years, so you wouldn't think that would be something to aspire to. But then I realized that might be exactly what the point is. See, if the average life expectancy is 25 years, that means that most cavemen didn't live that long, and they probably had a really high child mortality rate. So if Fred Flintstone is the exception to the rule that makes it to middle age, then it does kind of make sense to have him promote a line of children's vitamins because he was one of a fairly small percentage of cavemen who survived childhood. So I cracked the code. Although really, if they want kids to be like Fred Flintstone, they shouldn't eat things shaped like Fred Flintstone. They should eat what Fred Flintstone ate, so the vitamins should be shaped like giant brontosaurus-sized racks of ribs that are going to tip over your car. Anyway, the point is, yes, I am going a little stir-crazy. So let's talk about a comic book. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Laura. And it's to the tune of Betty Davis' eyes, but I did put a moratorium on a cappella singing by me in these, so I'm just gonna kind of, uh, Rex Harrison my way through this. Under dramatic weight, the issue will capsize. Read Devil Slayer's fate? He's got Peter Laurie eyes. He'll try death by meteor? Chicken out then reprise. But living's easier? He's got Peter Laurie eyes. He's not quippy. He acts snippy. He converses with a dead hippie. He's atrocious, and he knows just what it takes to make me up, Chuck. Beating dogs? Beating wives? He's got Peter Laurie eyes. Corey and Hub disdain? Or better yet, despise. This douchebag Eric Payne? He's got Peter Laurie eyes. Let's hope this issue's bliss with no more of that guy. So here's a synopsis. He's got Peter Laurie eyes. I think I went a little more William Shatner than Rex Harrison on that, Laura, so sorry about that, but, uh, excellent work. And, you'll be pleased to note, Devil Slayer is not in this issue. Defenders, number 112, October, 1982. Strange Visitor from Another Planet. Written by J.M. DeMatteis, drawn by Don Perlin, inked by Mike Gustavich, lettered by Shelley Lefferman, Colored by George Russos, and edited by Al Milgram. Defensive lineup Doctor Strange, Son of Satan, The Incredible Hulk, The Submariner, 
Valkyrie, Gargoyle, Beast, Scarlet Witch, Vision, Silver Surfer, Nighthawk, Hyperion, and, depending on how we want to define who counts as a defender, Dr. Spectrum, the Wizard, <laughs> Power Princess, Lady Lark, Captain Hawk, Golden Archer, Amphibian, Tom Thumb, Arcana, and Nuke. But not the one who is in Daredevil, a different Nuke. Previously in the Defenders. It had been a pretty rough indeterminate amount of comic book time for billionaire Uwell Bird enthusiast Kyle Richmond, a.k.a. Nighthawk. First, his psychic ex-girlfriend Mindy sent some robo-hippies armed with laser guitars to kill him. Then, once they had worked things out, August Masters, a fascist former government agent with a Roman centurion fetish, kidnapped Mindy and a bunch of other psychics as part of a plot to murder the USSR. Kyle and the abducted psychics ended up unnecessarily martyring themselves and dying in a fiery explosion in an effort to thwart Master's evil scheme. Bummer. After Kyle's death, the rest of the gang got up to some complicated nonsense surrounding the resurrection of Valkyrie, who had also died, and the retconning of her origin. But thankfully, the impact of that story on this one is minimal. Hooray! The salient details are that during the course of that adventure, Hulk, Namor, and Son of Satan were mysteriously transported to another dimension, and Valkyrie got a little sassier and started talking with more these and thous. While the rest of the gang took some time to recover, Hellcat went off on a quest to find out whether her dad was the devil. He wasn't. And Doctor Strange went dimension hopping in search of the three missing defenders. After a bit of searching, Steve eventually located his waylaid non-teammates on an alternate version of Earth. But, much to the supercilious sorcerer's surprise, the group he found consisted of four defenders, not the expected three. Because standing next to Namor the Hulk and Son of Satan, wearing a slightly modified costume with a mask that now covered his entire face, was Nighthawk. What? The surprisingly alive Nighthawk explained that death wasn't the end of his bad luck streak, because after he had died, he somehow ended up on an alternate Earth that had elected the worst president imaginable. Kyle Richmond. And proving that the incompetence of Kyle Richmond's was an interdimensional constant, soon after his inauguration, this planet's Kyle had fallen under the sway of a big burly alien with an elaborately manicured beard named Overmind. Just to be clear, Overmind was the name of the big burly alien. Whether or not his beard has a name is yet to be determined. Steve had a lot of questions for the mysteriously masked individual claiming to be Kyle, but the alleged affluent avian aficionado deflected these questions by taking Steve to a secret underground bunker and directing his attention to a high-tech hospital bed occupied by a comatose costumed figure that was all too familiar. Lying in the souped-up gurney was the Superman stand-in and longtime defender's foe, Hyperion. Gadzooks! Why does the individual claiming to be Kyle Richmond refuse to remove his mask? Who exactly is Hyperion again? And with Nighthawk and Valkyrie both seemingly back from the dead, what purportedly deceased character will be resurrected next? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Oh, no reason. It just never occurred to him that that might seem suspicious. Hyperion is the Marvel Universe's proxy for an evil version of Superman, or, as it turns out in this case, an alternate alternate universe good version of a proxy for the evil version of Superman. I think. And August Masters. B.
Beast has just officially moved into the brownstone that Valkyrie, Gargoyle, and Hellcat share, and is hosting a party. Patsy's still off on her dad quest, but the rest of the housemates have just returned from a big team-up event where they bumped into Scarlet Witch, the Vision, and Silver Surfer, and decided to invite them over. Also in attendance are Beast's girlfriend Vera and the gang's long-suffering housekeeper Dolly Donahue. Everyone is pretty tipsy on champagne, and the party is in full swing. Literally in the case of Beast, who is hanging by his feet from the chandelier and drunkenly proposing toasts. It's cute. Valkyrie is like, Man, what a great party. It's a shame Steve isn't here. Only, she says it in her new, old-timey dialect, so it's a little tough to tell if she's being sarcastic. But Gargoyle takes her statement at face value and is like, Oh, that's right. Steve went off looking for Namor, Damon, and the Hulk kind of a while ago. Wonder how that's going for him. I guess Doctor Strange must have some kind of Beetlejuice slash Candyman interdimensional Google alert set up for himself, because no sooner has Isaac finished speaking his name than an astral projection of Steve's head shows up in the middle of the living room and is like, uh, Did somebody say Steve? Once they get over the initial surprise of a huge ghostly head appearing in the middle of the living room, the gang acquiesces that they had in fact been talking about Steve. Steve is like, Say, are you guys having a party? Well, don't let me interrupt. Let's see, where did I put my astral acoustic guitar? Beast hurries to assure Steve that the party was just winding down. Steve is like, oh, well, in that case, I need all of you to help me out on an urgent matter of dire importance. Ghost Steve does some magic and suddenly all of the partygoers except Vera and Dolly, find themselves standing in a secluded underground bunker with Steve, Damon, Namor, and a de-hulkified Bruce Banner. When Valkyrie sees Bruce, she runs over and picks him up and is like, Hey, thou hast cured thyself from being all green and giant and shit. That art rad. Bruce is like, Uh, hey Val, nah, I'll probably turn back into the Hulk pretty soon. I guess someone just remembered that this is supposed to be my default setting. It probably won't last. Never does. Then Nighthawk, who I guess was hiding behind a box or something, pipes up and is like, Hey, everybody should be paying attention to me. Why isn't everyone paying attention to me? Well, I'll say this much for the guy. If he isn't Kyle, he's done his homework. Val is so startled that she tosses Bruce across the room. She's like, Kyle, aren't you dead? Nighthawk is like, aren't you? Touche. Nighthawk goes on and is like, Anyway, I'll explain why I'm not dead later. First, I should probably explain why Hyperion is in this fancy gurney over here. Val is like, Hyperion? I fucking hateth that asshole. She rushes across the room to slice Hyperion up with her fancy magic sword, but Vision stops her and is like, Chill out, Val. The Hyperion you guys fought was a bad guy, but I think this is the good guy version of Hyperion. I met him with the Avengers one time. On his world, they elected Nelson Rockefeller president, and he put on an evil snake hat. It was a whole thing. Nighthawk is like, Yeah, me and all my jerk buddies who fought the Defenders were in a group called the Squadron Sinister. We were like jerkhole knockoffs of the Justice League. But this world has a good guy version of the Squadron Sinister called the Squadron Supreme which are just regular non-jerkhole knockoffs of the Justice League. Val is like, So if this dimension is all oppositeville, then 
the Kyle of this world is probably a respected and competent businessman? Nighthawk is like, very funny, Val. And yes, he was. Ouch. Hyperion stumbles out of bed and is like, must save world, before collapsing into a heap. Namor tucks Hyperion back into his hospital bed, and Nighthawk continues his story. Anyway, he asked how I got here, and the answer is, I don't know. The last thing I remember was exploding, and the next thing I knew, I woke up here. End of story. I guess I did have time to tell you after all. Now, give me a second, there's a hollow cassette that I wanted you guys to see. Huh. He takes off his mask to find a high-tech VHS tape that he was looking for, and it turns out that under the mask, Nighthawk does indeed appear to be the Kyle Richmond from the regular Marvel Universe. Oh, that's a little anticlimactic. As Kyle is proving his identity, both by showing his face and by demonstrating how bad he is at maintaining a secret identity, a strange thing is happening in the skies above this strange world. A cloud of vapors coalesces high above the stratosphere and forms the image of Mindy's head. Okay. Meanwhile, in this alternate world's version of Washington, D.C., a confused and disheveled August Masters stumbles through some back alleys and attempts to evade the police. They shoot at him and he returns fire, thinking to himself, What happened? Fair question. Back in the secret bunker, Kyle has found the fancy VHS tape he was looking for. He pops it into the hollow VCR or whatever, and Hyperion's face appears on the screen. Hollow VHS Hyperion is like, Hey, whoever's watching this, my name's Hyperion. If you're a bad guy, then we're all hosed. But if you're a good guy, then listen up, because I've got a whole shitload of exposition. Hyperion goes on to explain that the Squadron Supreme was awesome and everybody liked them. After they and the Avengers got President Nelson Rockefeller to take off his evil snake hat, they decided to elect a new president, and since everyone liked and respected Kyle Richmond, he got the nod. At first, everything went great, but then this weird-bearded buff alien jerk named Overmind showed up and told Kyle that there was a secret communist conspiracy to take over the United States. President Kyle started acting like a total fascist and declared martial law. He had anyone who questioned him declared a traitor and thrown in jail. President Kyle's old buddies in the Squadron Supreme thought that seemed like a bunch of bullshit, so they invited President Kyle and Overmind up to their space station clubhouse for a chat. That's when everything went all higgledy-piggledy. Well, more higgledy-piggledy. I mean, I guess all the fascism was already at least kind of higgledy-piggledy for a given value of piggledy-piggledy. Anyway, the Halloween Store Justice League was like, What gives with all the fascism, Kyle? We think that's bad. President Kyle was like, Hey, calm down. I have a totally reasonable explanation for that. Halloween Store Black Canary was like, Oh, good. Glad to hear it. President Kyle was like, Just kidding. I actually have a totally unreasonable explanation for that. My brain's been taken over by Overmind, and he's cuckoo for fascism. Can't get enough of this stuff. See, this guy is the last survivor of a race of powerful space beings called the Eternals. But not that race of powerful space beings called the Eternals. A different one. Overmind's Eternals tried to conquer the universe, but they fucked it up and all got killed. 
only before they all got killed, they all stuffed their brains into his brain. So now this goofed up space fascist has like millions of brains in his brain and he's going to conquer the universe. And you're going to help him. Sound good? The Halloween Store Justice League did not in fact think that sounded good. Halloween Store Firestorm attacked first. So Overmind beat him up. Then Halloween Store Hawkman, Aquaman, and the Atom all attacked at once. So Overmind beat them up too. Halloween Store Wonder Woman, Zatanna, Green Arrow, The Flash, and Green Lantern all suffered similar defeats. Finally, Hyperion stepped his Halloween Store Superman ass up to the plate. Only, as soon as he got near Overmind, President Kyle whipped out a chunk of Halloween Store kryptonite, or as he calls it, Argonite, which instantly brought Hyperion to his mighty knees. Realizing that he was beaten, Hyperion bolted for the space station's teleporter and headed back to Earth to warn the people about Overmind. But nobody would listen to him, because President Kyle had already turned the state-run media against him and branded Hyperion as a traitor. He decided to retreat to his Halloween store Fortress of Solitude at the North Pole, but Overmind and President Kyle had already destroyed it. Still weakened from the Argonite, Hyperion headed into space to try to buy himself some time to recover but Overmind had anticipated this tactic as well, and had launched a series of satellites armed with Argonite lasers to bombard the knockoff Superman with deadly radiation once he reached the Earth's ionosphere. Thinking quickly, Hyperion made a beeline back to the Halloween Store Justice League secret space clubhouse and tore off a lead-lined wall, which he used to shield himself from the radiation long enough to build the secret bunker where the defenders were now gathered around him. Then he tried sending out a beacon to signal the Avengers of the regular Marvel Universe, who the Squadron Supreme had encountered before. But that beacon was all out of whack. The hollow VHS recording ends with the sobering information that in the time since Hyperion retreated into his bunker, Overmind had taken over the minds of the rest of the Squadron Supreme and had used them and the U.S. military to conquer the Earth. Nighthawk turns to the rest of the Defenders and is like, And there you have it. I think maybe the malfunctioning beacon thing brought me here just as I was exploding, and then I was able to somehow snag Hulk, Damon, and Namor when they were lost between dimensions. A little while later, Steve found us and brought the rest of you here, but you already knew that. Damon has been using his magic to cure Hyperion, but as you can see, he's still pretty banged up. We'll wait until he starts feeling a little peppier, but then I figure... We ought to get cracking and see if we can save this goofy version of our planet from Captain Weirdbeard. What do you say, guys? What the guys would have said is a matter of speculation, because before anyone else gets the chance to speak, Hyperion staggers out of bed and is like, You poor stupid dummies. Don't you get it? There's more at stake than just this one world. The gang isn't quite sure what to make of this ominously cryptic statement, so Hyperion stumbles to the bunker's view screen and tells the computer to point its cameras at the moon. The defenders stare in politely horrified confusion at the view screen as it displays an image of Overmind and the Squadron Supreme constructing an elaborate militaristic moon base festooned with brightly colored missiles. Hyperion helpfully informs the gang that with this technology and power at his disposal, Overmind is now capable of not only conquering the planet, but of crushing the entire universe. Well, that doesn't sound good. To be continued.
And joining me once again via the magic of telephonic communication is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Hello. It's going just fine. How are you? I'm going pretty good right now. I was feeling a little bit under the weather much of this week, but uh, seem to be on the road to recovery, so that is very nice. Good. I mean, the recovery part. Yeah, absolutely. I felt weird. I really try not to post any episodes late, because if I let drop the illusion that the deadlines I give myself are real, then it's kind of a game over. But uh, I just really didn't feel up to making the show on time. So it went up like two days late. And everybody was really, really nice about it when I posted it online. So thanks, guys. I can see the appeal of this Munchausen thing. Munchausen? You know, the where you pretend you're sick so everybody's nice to you, and oh. then you actually make yourself sick? Yeah, no, I was, I was thinking about that. You were thinking about the Terry Gilliam movie? Yeah. I haven't seen that in a long time. I remember being a kid and waiting for it to get funnier, and it never did. I wonder if I would like it more as a grown-up. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The only part I remember is I think he makes a whale sneeze with some snuff tobacco. Oh. That seems like a pretty good time. Mm -hmm. When I try to picture that scene, all I can think of is the movie Cabin Boy. But to be fair, there are a lot of things that when I try to think of, I just end up thinking of the movie Cabin Boy. In Cabin Boy, I bet they don't say, oh gosh, what is the quote? Upon occasion, I have found a modicum of snuff to be most efficacious. Whoa, I bet you're right about that. Well recalled, Corey. That's taking up valuable brain space. I don't know why. I can't remember anything else from the whole rest of the movie, but that line stuck in my head. You know what? At one point in your life, that quote will be completely necessary, and uh, you'll be glad that you've got it in there. Oh, gosh. I hope not, because, I mean, that just means I'm going to get eaten by a whale. Who knows what the future will bring? I still cling tightly in my heart to the memory of the one time in high school when I walked by somebody who was saying, I wish I had a shoehorn, and I had been carrying a shoehorn around with me for a year and a half, and I was able to just say, here, give it to them, and walk away. It is like the best feeling in the world, maybe? Mm -hmm. So maybe someday someone will need that Adventures of Baron von Munchausen quote, and you will have it. Good, I hope all they need is the quote, because I don't carry <laughs> snuff tobacco around. <laughs> well, you might want to look into it. You want to talk about a comic book? Yes, let's. Corey, what do you think of this comic book? Oh, boy. Much like my fuzzy memories of that Munchausen movie, it was a little bit confusing, but I think I enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it, and I understand what you mean about it being a little bit confusing, at least in part because of the timeline of this comic book. Like, it picks up after an Avengers crossover event, which hadn't come out at the time that this had been published yet. Mm. So. I was going back and forth, should we read that Avengers one first? But I think it makes more sense to just kind of hit this issue the way that readers at the time would have. And then we can go back and cover the Avengers annual later. So there is that momentary confusion where you're like, wait, what are the Vision and Scarlet Witch doing here? And I guess Hank moved in with them. But overall, I thought that this issue was certainly confusing at times, very complicated. There is a lot of exposition in it, for sure. But at the same time, I didn't find it confounding or frustrating in the way that a lot of like larger backstory-heavy 
storylines have been. Maybe that is just a matter of the Wonder Girl origin and the Valkyrie origin just raising the bar for mm. convolutedness. Mm -hmm. But uh, overall, it seemed like kind of a romp and a pretty fun story. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think the main source of my confusion is that I'm not really familiar with how the Marvel multiverse deals with alternate Earths. Like, I know there's a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. And in here they, they're talking about a parallel Earth, which I always just thought they had a bunch of like numbers appended to them or something. And that was the part I was a little bit stuck on. So I was like, okay, the story is taking place in both places. And in the parallel one, it's a little bit down is up, up is down. The squadron is not sinister. They're wonderful or <laughs> superior. What are they called? Supreme. Supreme. That's it. Yeah. Like they have both meat and vegetable toppings. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, pretty good squadron. Wait, what? Oh, like a the sandwich. Pizza. The, yep. A, a sandwich? Is a, there a, a sandwich supreme? It would have to be, be a supreme sandwich if it had all those toppings, no? Nachos. That's what you're talking about, right? I, I was talking about pizza. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Maybe we should just start over that. Speaking of confusing. <laughs> so... You probably picked up on this, but the Squadron Supreme is an analog for the Justice League, mm -hmm. which I usually find those stories a lot of fun. I think most writers, most comic book writers, probably have a Justice League story that they want to do. But if you end up writing for Marvel, you don't get to do the Justice League story. And this seems like an opportunity for J.M. DeMatteis to get to do a Justice League story. But with the added bonus of you don't have to worry about the consequences for any of these characters because it's essentially an Elseworld story mm -hmm. because it takes place in a different dimension. And also it being a Marvel story that is dealing with stand-ins for the Justice League, you are not only not expected to have reverence for the characters, but you are kind of discouraged from treating the characters with any kind of reverence. So you get to take little pot shots at the competition in a way that's pretty fun. Mm. I think it's also probably worth noting that once J.M. DeMatteis became the scripter a few years after this of Justice League, one of the first stories that he did the dialogue for featured the DC Universe equivalent of Avengers characters, the Champions of Angor, where you have stand-ins for Thor, which is a Wangina, I think it was. I'm almost certainly mispronouncing that, but probably the writers did too, who was an Australian Aboriginal wind god who was a stand-in for Thor. You had Silver Sorceress, who was a stand-in for Scarlet Witch. You had Jack B. Quick, who was a Quicksilver knockoff. And you had Blue Jay, who was a version of the Wasp. And so I think it's interesting to have that kind of symmetry with the writer's work. It is also, I think, interesting that this is in some ways kind of the second Justice League-style story that J.M. DeMatteis has done, because his very first Defenders story was that tribute to Gardner Fox, where all of the characters separated into separate teams and then came back together. Right. So I feel like this is a fun opportunity for him to play in a different sandbox, and I really enjoyed it, and it seemed like he was enjoying it. You know? Yeah, that was good, confusing fun. Agreed. What did you think of the art? I feel like it was a refreshing change from 
I don't want this to sound like an underhanded compliment, but it has like more of an old timey feel compared to the Titans story that we were just reading. And uh, that was kind of fun. Yeah, it is still Don Perlin doing the pencils on this, but over the past several, gosh, I, I feel like dozen or so maybe Defenders issues, we have had different combinations of inkers on almost every issue. There really hasn't been any continuity of inkers, and it's been really interesting for me to see the change in art that that makes and really what a valuable contribution inkers make to a book, which is something that I tend to forget about. Yeah, I didn't recognize the name. Gus Gustavich? Well, we have seen some of his artwork before. He did pencils and inks on maybe our least favorite drawn story that we've covered. It was that Infinity Ink crossover where everybody looked really, really weird. Mm -hmm. The characters don't look as weird in this, but there are definitely some pictures where it's like, oh, that is some of the same problems I was having with that Infinity Ink issue, where a character will just have eyes that seem like they're in slightly the wrong place or the wrong size, like a, a general lack of symmetry on the characters' faces. Mm -hmm. But certainly less pronounced. I, th I think the biggest version of that is if you want to look at the picture of Scarlet Witch that's on page four, it's not as pronounced as it was in that Infinity Ink issue, but her face just looks off. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And there's definitely a few pictures that are like that in here. Yeah. Yeah, we got the Rockefeller with a snake hat. That was a pretty <laughs> weird one. And uh, Kyle Richmond is a evil ginger JFK. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the Nelson Rockefeller thing definitely stuck out to me as like, oh, that is a weird twist to have on this other universe. We have a few differences between both our Earth and the general Marvel Universe, the 616 Marvel Universe, and the Squadron Supreme world, mm -hmm. even before the Overmind's arrival. One of the big ones is President Nelson Rockefeller went, went kind of nutty once he put on a evil snake hat. Yep. Kind of turban-looking snake hat. I know, that poor snake. Gosh, I bet that guy hated it. Oh. What were some of the other differences that you noticed? Between the realities? Yeah. So that, that was the thing. It seemed to jump back and forth. So the one in which evil Kyle is president, is that the parallel Earth or the regular Earth? So he's president after Bad Rockefeller, right? Yes. Okay. So I guess that, that was kind of an interesting thing too where it turned really quickly dystopian with a overmind coming in and it's just really unnerving <laughs> how consistent the thread of hey scare the populace and you can get away with whatever is yeah i thought it was a pretty well done story in really just playing up the like hey mccarthyism's pretty fucked up huh mm -hmm. and it was a pretty direct analogy to that you get the impression that in this world they didn't get the initial McCarthyism run that we had in our world, and I believe in the Marvel Universe. I'm not sure that how exactly that worked out there, but you do have mention of the fact that the USSR was never a big deal there because they never became a nuclear superpower. Mm -hmm. That is one of the other main differences in the timelines. You have kind of an interesting touch, I thought. Hyperion's one weakness is Argonite instead of Kryptonite, so 
different noble gas one position up on the periodic table. Oh, jeez, I didn't put that together. That's cute. Yeah. I think maybe the most jarring and chilling difference between our universes is that in the Squadron Supreme universe, newspapers use a sans-serif font. Very unsettling. Oh. Seeing a newspaper headline in Comic Sans font is just <laughs> chilling. Oof, scary. So, on on that note, what's up with the August Masters inset? That's in the parallel Earth, right? Yeah, so there really isn't any back and forth between the two Earths. The opening scene is set in the regular Marvel Universe. As soon as Steve teleports them there, everything else that happens in the issue is in the Squadron Supreme Universe. Okay. So yeah, I don't know what August Masters is doing there. I don't know why Mindy's face coalesces in the stars above the Earth. I'm guessing that is how Kyle ended up there, and then August Masters did too. But I don't know what he's doing there. I think the idea of putting August Masters into this world is really interesting, and I'm curious where they go with it. Frankly, I really thought it was going to be an alternate universe version of Kyle that we were seeing, and I thought he was going to be evil and was tricking people. And so I was really thrown for a loop when he finally took off his mask and you see that, no, it's just regular Kyle. And okay, I guess he wasn't all the way dead or he was dead, but got brought back here by dint of Mindy's mental might. Yeah, yeah, the Space Mindy thing was was strange. I didn't realize quite how galactically powerful she was supposed to be. Well, and maybe it is she is the figurehead for all of the combined psychics that were at that facility. I mm. wonder, now that August Masters is back, how long it's going to be before someone is dressed like a Roman centurion? Maybe it'll be him this time? Yeah, or maybe because it's a parallel weirdness thing, maybe he's a good guy this time. Maybe. I can kind of see that just in reaction to him being plunged into what in his mind must seem like the utopia he had dreamed of, where there's a strong central U.S. government that is running the planet and there's no Soviet Union of note. If his reaction to that will be like, oh shit, I fucked up. Or if he's going to be like, hooray, here I am in paradise. Me and my good buddy Overmind are going to get along just fine. Yeah, I hope it's bad august masters because he was i mean i hated him but he was one of my favorite guys to hate yeah a good bad guy speaking of good bad guys overmind pretty damn powerful real fucking dick don't like that beard <laughs> do you like his new beard look better or worse than his old beard look because it is less of a flame beard and now it's just kind of bifurcated and forked off in two different directions yeah instead of like saw blades yeah new beard 100 percent because it's almost like a, a giant mustache, but it's like a chin mustache. You get a couple of weird parts of hair going on in this issue, uh, be they facial hair or top of the head hair. One of those is on Tom Thumb, who uh, just has like the part down the middle and then has his mask. I've never seen this before. It is like a clip-on mask that goes over the top of his head. Yeah, it's a weird look. His hair is kind of a lavender color, but I, I definitely was getting like original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Oompa Loompa vibes from him. Oh, I can see that. To me, he looks in the 90s image comics. Specifically, I think Rob Liefeld did a Wolverine knockoff called Troll, who looked kind of like him. 
where it, it was it was a little fella but with big gray hair that was kind of wolverine and out on mm -hmm. the sides mm -hmm. and so he has kind of that going on what did you think of the squadron supreme we've seen some members of it before but this version is the expanded roster where it is a one-for-one -one version of the 80s at this point justice league yeah i got a kick out of it we'll definitely get into that when we talk about clothes and the minutia but um power princess was fun it was funny to see a hot-headed nuclear powered character but who is also like kind of made to look like a hippie because he has long hair yeah so that is nuke and he is i believe supposed to be a stand-in for firestorm the nuclear man in the dc universe who would have joined the justice league fairly recently at this point but his hair isn't on fire, which is kind of the defining thing about Firestorm's look. So I wish they had gotten a little more direct analogy or maybe made his hair be made out of water or something. Mm. But uh, let's go through the characters because it is a pretty big roster of the Squadron Supreme. So we get Hyperion, who we've seen before, who is the Superman stand-in. Mm -hmm. Although as a Superman stand-in, he's got more of Namor's attitude. Then we're used to seeing coming out of a Superman type character. It, it was a little bit weird for me to see the Superman stand in not be like such a white bread character, you know? Yeah. And also that he wears a metal girdle. We have definitely seen that before because I, I think we commented on it. It looks like he is wearing either Charlie Daniels belt buckle or <laughs> possibly he is the intercontinental champion of something. Mm hmm. But yeah, giant metal tummy belt. The original four members of the Squadron Supreme, I feel like they put some thoughts into not showing their work. You know, like, you can copy the Justice League, but don't make it too obvious. So for that, you had Hyperion, Nighthawk as the Batman stand-in, Dr. Spectrum as the Green Lantern stand-in, mm -hmm. which is probably the most different character in the League. He has a power prism instead of a power ring. And he makes, like, rainbow-looking shit, I guess. But mm -hmm. he can still make constructs. And the wizard, of course. The wizard. The yellow-costumed equivalent of the Flash. The wizard's one of actually a couple of characters on the League who is the name of more than one Marvel character. The other one being the expanded member, the Golden Archer, who is the Green Arrow knockoff, who is also a character that Hawkeye dressed up as one time as a villain to try to convince Captain America to go back to being Captain America by shooting arrows at him or something. Hmm. It was part of the whole storyline where uh, after Watergate, Captain America was kind of like, you know what? Fuck the United States. I'm not wearing the flag anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So who's, uh, who's Lady Lark supposed to be? That one didn't ring a bell for me. She is Black Canary. Oh, okay. Or, you know, the stand-in for Black Canary. Let's go through the rest of the roster, and I'll, I'll just say the Squadron Supreme character, and you say who you think they're supposed to stand in for. Okay. Power Princess. Is that Wonder Woman? It sure is. Okay. Uh, Lady Lark we just did. Captain Hawk. That's a uh, Hawkman? It sure is. Golden Archer we just talked about is Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. Amphibian. Well, that's, that's gonna be your, uh... Super C strength and uh, Aquaman. It sure is. Tom Thumb? That one I'm drawing a blank on. Who did they have? That was a smaller, angry guy. 
Well, I think the angry guy is a bit of an extrapolation, but I'm pretty sure Look he's supposed to be the Adam. No, I agree. Tom Thumb looks looks pretty angry. He's growling. That might just be how much his clip-on mask is pinching his forehead, though. Oh, that's possible. That'd cheese me off. Hmm. And I think the only one that leaves is Arcana. Yeah, so I don't know who that is. That is supposed to be Zatanna. Zatanna. Zatanna Zatara. She is a stage magician slash real magician who dressed kind of like Marlena Dietrich in like tuxedo top fishnet stockings and did magic. She was a staple of the Justice League in the early 80s and is uh, one of the few characters in the Justice League to have canonically smoked pot because she was in the first issue of Hellblazer that I ever read where there was a party for John Constantine's 40th birthday when Swamp Thing grew them all pot. <laughs> Weird. So it didn't come with a drugs are bad message? No, it was a Vertigo title, so it was oh, for okay. mature readers like me who just wanted to see John Constantine get drunk and smoke pot on his 40th birthday party with Zatanna and Swamp Thing, and I believe he pissed on the Phantom Stranger's leg accidentally. Oh my goodness. Well, it's a good thing uh, I didn't eat any of those psychedelic yams that uh, Swamp Thing grows occasionally. Yeah, magic users on psychedelics is probably not a great idea. I think that's all the Squadron Supreme characters that we see get taken over, but they were a fun bunch, and I really enjoyed seeing those Justice League stand-ins, especially some of the newer editions. I would like to learn more about Tom Thumb, too. Yeah, what's his, uh, what's his deal? What's his power? I assume he can shrink like the Atom can. Mm. That is me making the assumption that he is a direct stand-in for the Atom, where he is a scientist who maybe harnessed let's see the atom got a white dwarf star material which let him uh shrink down real small so i'm gonna say that tom thumb got some red giant star material which lets him adjust his size mm. i don't know nice or possibly some red dwarf material which lets him hang out on the set of a British science fiction comedy that I used to be kind of obsessed with. What did you think of seeing the uh, Scarlet Witch and Vision pop up in this comic? Oh, that was fun. I really loved the party scene at the beginning. I know we always talk about how we get a kick out of seeing a kind of domestic situation of the heroes, but whenever, like, I know that Vision, he's capable of consuming food to make other people comfortable. Mm -hmm. But seeing a basically a robot man eat cheese is so weird. <laughs> that is fun. Or he's not really eating it. Scarlet Witch is like, here, have some cheese. And you, he's like, oh, oh this is going to gum up my works. I wonder if that is like his equivalent of like being put on the spot. It's like, OK, yeah, fine. I'll do the party trick. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Robot eating cheese. Everybody get a load of it. Yeah. Thanks, Wanda. Yeah, it was good to see them, and uh, just the whole party, we get to, Beast is drunk, mm -hmm. Gargoyle's a little concerned, Val's, and maybe my favorite thing of the whole issue is cutting a ham with her sword. I love the visual of that, and that is fun, but there was part of me that was just like, no, no, other people are going to have to eat that, you're going to get steamroller all over that ham, you're ruining a ham. I know, she's sliced countless things with that. But it's just, it's this funny illustration of like when, when heroes get their swerve on, you know, <laughs> bad decisions happen. 
I wonder how many times she just out of habit whacked the ham with the flat of her sword first. <laughs> yeah. That is something that you see often Wolverine will do, where he'll like eat food with his finger knives, and it always grosses me out when you see him like slicing a ham or something with with his claws, where it's like, that was inside your body seconds ago. Ooh, yeah. That is so fucking gross. Yeah, it's almost like a weird, like a, like a baby birding thing. Like, you just chewed the food and spit it back <sighs> on the plate. It kind of is, yeah. You're, you're getting your inside juice on outside things. Ugh. No good. No, thank you. Yeah, I was just thinking of it like trying to cut something with your fingernail, but... Also yeah. gross. Yeah. Seems like Steve has a psychic Google alert set up for himself, where if anybody across the dimensions is thinking about him, he can be like, hello? You know, that occurred to me, but the other thing that led up to that that I just found absolutely hilarious was these guys are having a great party. Like, they just completely forgot about Doctor Strange and the other <laughs> Defenders. Like, completely. They did. And then, oh, I had not completely realized how much this is the inverse of... In the last issue, we talked about our Swatch watches mm -hmm. and how much we liked them and how we wondered what had sold them to us so strongly as children. And then I found that Fat Boys video from 1984 where the Fat Boys did a Swatch commercial where the premise of the commercial is there are people at a boring, fancy party and you see this lady go, Fat Boys, where are you? As, as one does at a black tie event. Yeah, and then the fat boys show up instantly and are awesome, and suddenly it's a great party, and they rap about how great swatches are, and rhyme the word precision with the word resistant. Mm -hmm. But it totally works, because the fat boys are awesome. This scene is like the absolute inverse of that. There is an awesome party where everybody's having a great time. <laughs> Doctor Strange? <laughs> and then Val is like, where's Doctor Strange? And then he shows up and ruins the party and everybody's bummed out. Yeah, and you think about it too, like sometimes there is a sobering effect to realizing that something serious has happened, but clearly they've all been drinking heavily and that's the way that this mission starts. They're just like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. I wonder if in an earlier draft of this, Steve had showed up and started doing, like, slam poetry about Rolexes. <laughs> oh, probably. That would be my guess. Steve is no the fat boys. No, he's not. How'd you like the cover of the issue? It was, it was interesting. It felt really different than a lot of the, the cover art we've seen to date. I, I thought it was good. It was dynamic. There's lots going on. But the Beast looks really goofy. He does, and in general, the characters have a much more stylized, almost anime-influenced look. It looks, to me, very like mid-to-late 90s comic book art, like very much ahead of its time. It's an artist named Brett Anderson, hmm. who is probably best known for doing the X-Men book uh, God Loves, Man Kills. At least he's best known by me for that, which is a really, really great comic. 
But it was weird seeing it on this issue. It really does look like this came from about like eight to ten years later than it did. Not in a good or bad way, but just in a different way. Yeah, I liked it. Just felt bad that the beast looked so silly. Well, he's pretty drunk, to be fair. (laughs) That does come through. You know who I feel bad for in this comic book, and I don't know if we're supposed to? Vera. I feel like the last, like, four or five times we've seen her in a comic book, she's kind of having a good time, and then Beast is just kind of dismissive of her. It is like, all right, well, I'm off to go do something, or he just disappears without any real explanation. I'm curious about their relationship, and are they living together at this point? I kind of assumed that they were, but yeah, she does get the short end of the hero partner's uh, relationship. Yeah. I mean, I like Dolly Donahue. I'm glad they get to hang out as much as they do, but it seems like it must be stressful for her. Like, Beast brings her to all his Defender stuff and then just abandons her kind of at the drop of the hat a lot, it seems like. Yeah, that's a that's a weird one. I mean, you don't want to bring a non-powered, non-superhero person, I guess, mm-hmm. on your things, but you should give them a little more heads up, I think. You know who else I felt bad for? Is uh, Dolly, because... Beast knocks over an entire giant carafe of coffee and ostensibly leaves her to clean that up. I don't know how you even would clean that up. Mop? You're gonna have to mop? You're gonna have to, like, get rid of a rug? That's why I would never have a carafe of coffee that size to begin with. And I think if I spilled it, I would just have to move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of coffee. Yeah. It's easily a couple gallons. Gotta be. I also don't know how long Beast and Vera have been dating. It seems like they hadn't been dating that long when she got turned into Crystal the first time. So maybe that was just like the catalyst and kind of fast forwarded their relationship a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, technically we've been together for a couple years now, but a year and three quarters of that, I was stuck in another dimension. So not exactly sure when we celebrate our anniversary. Yeah, it's got to set a weird dynamic. It's got to put a lot of strain on a relationship, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. There was one little moment that we we call this out a lot when it happens in the Teen Titans, but less so in these because we don't have the timestamp category. But I did want to give a special shout out to the uh, hollow cassette tape. Mm -hmm. I love that they are using cassette technology in a repurposed satellite. Yeah, that was fun. I feel like there were issues of the Justice League from this era where they are on the space satellite and are like watching like a stack of VCR tapes or something to watch in their off time. And this kind of reminded me of that sort of thing. Yeah, it's always fun to see people imagining a future technology, but putting it in the context of the the current technology. I wonder if there's got to be a name for that when it's 80s technology. Like, I mean, it's not steampunk. But, uh, Cassette Punk? (laughs) Is there a name for that? Uh, There is now, Cassette Punk. Okay, well, I like the idea of Cassette Punk. Although that does seem like that would just be like, no, I I had punk rock cassettes. Yeah, that's true. So maybe that would just be that. I don't know. Mm, Nobody knows. Hey, speaking of punk rock cassette tapes that I used to have, did you know that John Doe from the band X was in Roadhouse? Um, no. Did I? I don't know. He played the sleazy bartender who was Ben Gazzara's nephew. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. Wow. Speaking of punk rock, man, that movie's got everything. <laughs> it really does. 
Well, now that we've gotten our obligatory Roadhouse fun fact out of the way, you ready to move into the minutia? Let's do it. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what category do you feel like starting off with? Oh, gosh. We already talked about them quite a bit, but um, let's talk about clothes, and maybe we can go through the Squadron Supreme to start. Wow. I don't know if we're going to have time to hit all of the Squadron, because there's a lot of Squadron members. Let's each pick one, then. Okay. Well, I'm going to call dibs on Power Princess, because that outfit is fucking rad. She has a Red Guardian-style helmet with a little fin on top of it, but really the standout to me of her look is her emblem on the chest. It is the female symbol, like the circle with the plus sign on it, Mm -hmm. but in the middle of the circle is a fist, and it is just really, really cool looking. Like, the band of the plus is her belt and then it goes down to the rest of her one-piece suit and it's just a really cool looking outfit and i really like it yeah i definitely noticed that one i guess the one that i'll pick is the amphibian because he reminds me of like he would have been like maybe a dancer in a movie like flash dance or something (laughs) (laughs) he's got a tight blue maybe tank top it's kind of hard to tell because he's obscured and a matching, like, really thin headband, and then uh, I think some yellow tights. Yeah, and purple boots, it looks like. It's not a cohesive outfit, but yeah, I could see him maybe maybe appearing in the movie Flashdance, in mm-hmm. which he, I guess, would be an avant-garde interpretive dancer in a blue-collar bar. Yeah, he, he's just, like, spinning around in the background <laughs> while she's doing <laughs> the thing with the chair in the water. I like it. And yeah, we talked about Tom Thumb, who the clip-on mask, there's a practicality to it that I kind of appreciate, but it is just such a bizarre choice that I have literally never seen before in a comic book. Yeah, it does not look comfortable. No, but I guess you really also could only do that if you do have your hair parted in the middle. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's really going to mess up your do. Oh yeah, weird hair. I did appreciate Arcana having kind of I guess her nod to Zatanna's outfit would be a lot of her costume seems to be made out of fishnet, but it is kind of weird to see fishnet sleeves as well as fishnet tights, you know? Yeah, and the gaps between the threads are bigger than one might normally see in a fishnet. You're not catching any minnows with that. That's for, like, lake or brook trouts only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe tunas. Mm. Big fish. Yeah, you you could definitely catch a tuna with those. Oh, yeah. I wonder if her outfit is dolphin safe, though. Well, not if it gets in the water. Yeah, Like, without, you know, just by itself. (laughs) (laughs) Dolphin's gonna get tangled up. Good point. Mm -hmm. So every issue of a Defenders comic book has a best defender and also a worst offender. In this issue, we have a lot of characters to potentially choose from. Who did you have as your best defender, and who did you have as your worst offender? Well, let's start with the good news. For best, I went with Hyperion, because even in the midst of multiple sources of radiation poisoning, he got it from the pendant, he got it from the satellites that were beaming it down on him, 
-hmm. he had the presence of mind to go rip off a piece of a space station and use it like an umbrella and then go back down to Earth and hastily build a high-tech subterranean bunker. Right. Well, what did he call his... Because he, he went and saw that his version of the Fortress of Solitude had been destroyed. What was his version? Was it, it was like the Tower of Aloneness? Something like that? Yeah, he called it my Tower of Isolation. Got it. Mm -hmm. His Lonely Boy Clubhouse. I wonder what Earth that's called that on. Yeah, I don't know. But I was thinking of like Oppositesville, like there's this like Tower of Power, the, the funk trio <laughs> versus Tower of Isolation. Oh, I wonder how Macho Man Randy Savage starts off his speaking from the heart song in this universe. Oh, gosh. Because it can't be the Tower of Power too sweet to be sour funky like a monkey. Oh, yeah. No. It's got to be like the. Oh, no. <laughs> the basement of weakness. <laughs> What's the opposite of funky like a monkey? Upright like a giraffe. Um, yeah, uptight. Yeah. What's the most uptight animal? The most uptight animal? Yeah. Uh, maybe a, a wombat. No, wombats know how to fucking party. Yeah, but their poop is square. Oh, that's tr It's a cube, though. I mean, that's so square. It's like a square squared, so is that even square anymore? Uh, I think I'm, Man? I'm, I'm mixing my metaphors too too generously here. What is the, what's an animal that looks just, like, way too serious? I mean, for me, it's the bald eagle, but I think I might just be thinking of Sam the Eagle from yeah. The Muppet Show. No, you definitely are, but I think you're on the right track. I think it's like... Um, oh, it's a bird. Like an egret? Because they just their eyes are just very judgy and wide open all the time. Yeah, they're like a less chill heron. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's raising its judgy eyebrows at you. <laughs> so Macho Man song would start the basement of weakness, too savory to be tasty, uptight like an egret. Oh no. Oh, it's terrible. I don't care for that macho man. Mm -mm. Yeah, I had Hyperion as my choice, too. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, he did a great job. And, like, he built that whole underground bunker while he was dying of radiation poisoning and had time to build a working hollow cassette player into it and then recorded that message and sent it out into the interdimension verse or whatever. Great <laughs> job, buddy. Yeah, yeah, remarkable stick to itness. Real mm -hmm. grit. Yeah. I mean, that's what you get when you combine a Namor personality with a Superman power set. Mm. Mm -hmm. Pretty good. Yeah, bunker building. For my worst, tempted to give it to Valkyrie for that ham slice, but I think I'm going to go with Kyle. You know, it's we have basically the same. I had Val as a strong runner-up, not only for the unsanitary, potentially unsanitary ham slicing, but also... She's holding Bruce Banner and then just forcibly like tosses him to the floor with such vigor that Scarlet Witch has to rescue levitate him so he doesn't like fall down and break a hip or something. Yeah, I actually had Scarlet Witch as my backup for the best defender for that little like 
I'll alter probability to give you a soft landing, buddy. But yeah, I do love the idea that Valkyrie was just like, and I'm done with this guy. Toss him to the side because I'm surprised. Not that surprising a move when you see the size of the goblet she is drinking champagne from earlier. Oh, no kidding. Clearly, she brought her own goblet because she knew that Hanks wouldn't be big enough. But uh, yeah, uh, not not a great move on her part. But I don't think that compares to the three issues of is this the real Kyle? He's got to convince people he's the real Kyle because they saw him die. He's wearing this new mask that no one's seen before that fully covers his face. And then like halfway through this issue, he just takes it off for no goddamn reason. It's like, maybe you lead with that, buddy. Yep. Yep. I had him too for the same reason. And on top of that, well, I guess not surprisingly, but uh, Parallel Kyle is just the worst. Oh, yeah. Well, to be fair, he is being taken over by the Overmind by then, but still, not cool. Yeah, well, don't let the Overmind take you over, Kyle. It is weird what a constant it is, whether it is one direction or the other. He does not know when it is an appropriate time to take off your mask. Either he leaves it on when he should take it off, or he takes it off when he should leave it on. Yeah, boy. Bad job, Kyle. Well, we have an accord. Indeed we do. And that actually kind of segues into the pie not made out of steel. Your favorite words in this issue that you enjoyed, much like you would enjoy a pie not made out of steel. Mm. For me... Definitely amongst my choices is Lady Lark yelling, shut up, Kyle, just shut up. <laughs> and she's talking to alternate universe Kyle, who's been taken over by Overmind. But anytime you see somebody yelling, shut up, Kyle, just shut up. Very satisfying. Yeah, especially with her Lark powers, which is making him grab his ears like it hurts real bad. Well, I think that's the way he responds to any criticism. He's a very wealthy white man. (laughs) Ah, it burns. What is this? Reproach? Ah! Run away. That's a good choice. I think mine were on page 11, and it's some of the exposition that's talking about what happens in parallel Earth as Overmind is basically taking over and locking people up with the secret police. And it says, Opposition in Congress died abruptly as a worm of fear began to slither across America. Ooh. thought that was pretty good. Very evocative. Mm -hmm. Later on, but along similar lines, you get when Hyperion comes back to Earth and tries to warn people, you have a bystander yell up at him, there he is, that commie scum. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, that is a throwback insult that I have not heard in a while, thankfully. But uh, wow, really does nail down what they are going for with that. There was also a bit of exposition that I enjoyed when the hollow cassette tape is playing. The cassette slips into place. There is a moment of silence, followed by the whirring and clicking of machinery on the verge of collapse. I just really like that description of a hollow cassette tape playing. Also, it doesn't appear to be a hologram and it's described as a hollow cassette tape, but it's just playing on a TV monitor. So I think it's just a videotape that is pink and fancy looking for some reason. Mm -hmm. I know, I was expecting a hologram to uh, pop up. Maybe that's just what they call videotapes there? 
Mm. Corey, I have a question I'd like to ask you. Okay. Behold or be gone. We talked about how Steve is the worst version of the fat boys. <laughs> but if you had the power to summon any person, real or fictional, specifically in a party situation, do you want that power? And who would you summon? Gosh, that's amazing. No, I don't want that power because I feel like it would just make me overthink things too much and mm. I would get flustered and then I wouldn't enjoy the party. How would you overthink things? I mean, you would only have the one person that you could summon. Well, I have to pick the person, right? You have to pick them now, but then it would just be a power that you have. So you wouldn't be necessarily overthinking it in the party situation. You'd be um, like, should I call this person? I see. And and then just any party, I can like basically summon that person to show up and mm -hmm. hang out. Person or people. It can be a group of people. A group of people? Yeah. If they're grouped together, generally, you know? Uh-huh. Like, like the I fat boys. Gosh. Dang, I got, I'd have to think on that to come up with, like, a, a proper answer and make sure I'm not giving anybody short sh shrift. But uh, I think I would have to pick somebody that was, like, really good at creating, a like, an engaging and interesting conversation. Sure. To uh, help help out the little awkward bits sometimes in, in parties or to, you know, just kind of keep things going. Mm-hmm. But you also don't want it to be somebody who's, like, going to be really annoyed that you summoned them. Oh, I thought that was part of the power, was, like, they're just, they show up and they're ready to, okay. So it's got to be somebody who, who likes to <laughs> just randomly be pulled into a party. Or would be, like, okay with it, you know? Okay. Like, for various reasons. So I decided, I think I'm going to go with ZZ Top. Like, the version of ZZ Top from the music videos. Oh, jeez. So it's like the house band? They're not even necessarily playing music. You know the music videos where they show up in the Eliminator and just make everything better with their rock and roll magic? Uh-huh. Kind of like the bearded fairy godmothers of rock and roll. Oof, yeah, I like that. They spin their guitars around or nod in unison, and suddenly, like, you're eating a shitty sandwich, and then they, they're like, mm-mm, they shake their heads, and then they rock and roll at you, and then you're eating a really good sandwich? Yes. I think that would be pretty fun. And I don't think they would be that annoyed because they're dead. And so they would be like, oh, I, I get to be alive again. And Frank Beard would probably be happy to see his friends again. So it'd be like, oh, OK, and, you know, we're at a party. It's not a great party yet, but we can do something about that. Yeah, that is a good call. I, I can say I think I'd be more than amused if they showed up and rock and rolled things better. <laughs> I also was tempted, just on the power of that Swatch commercial, to just go with the Fat Boys, because that did look fucking awesome, and they seemed like so much fun. And that is another situation where I, would, I believe that uh, probably Cool Rock Ski would be happy to see his friends again, so he probably wouldn't be too annoyed, and, you know, Human Beatbox and Prince Marky D would probably be happy to be back on Earth, so mm -hmm. I think that would be a, a decent thing, too, although... From the All You Can Eat video, uh, I would love to see them. I think it would be a great party time, but they'd eat you out of house and home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, gosh, I don't know who I would pick. I'd feel like I'd I'd need to assemble like a a team, and that would stress me out. But I might have a uh, chef uh, Jose Andres show up, Spanish guy. 
Yeah. He's, he seems fun. I've seen him on some shows. He's like full of good humor and knows a lot about food and has good stories to tell. And that, that would probably liven up a room. Yeah. You think he'd take the teleportation in stride? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He seems to have a good attitude. Okay. Well, sounds like we've got a couple of beholds. All right. Maybe I will just go with the fat boys. That was a very good Swatch commercial. <laughs> yeah. Does it make you go look for your old Swatch watch? I found pictures of it. Mostly it made me go, and I checked it. it. It hasn't worked yet, but fingers crossed for someday. Where are the fat boys? Just show up and make things better? Yeah, nothing yet. Okay. I should save it for an emergency anyway. Probably, yeah. Don't just... I mean... Toss it out there. This is a pretty good party we're having right now, Corey. Yeah, yeah. I think we're okay without the fat boys or Chef Jose Andres. <laughs> I bet they would get along great. Oh, yeah. It's, uh make them a paella or something blow their minds Corey what was your favorite sound effect in this issue oh boy there were some good ones there were but there is definitely a clear clear winner in my mind oh was it on page 16 but <laughs> it is that's what I had to yeah it is the word but B-U-T-T exclamation point. And it is not a sound made by a butt. It is like a forearm shiver, I think. The wizard tries to run into Overmind and he just like holds out his arm and clotheslines the wizard and it makes the noise butt. <laughs> Which is a continuation of the wizard's own hyperbole on the preceding panel. A super speed vortex should be enough to topple him onto his but <laughs> <laughs> ah so good maybe someday i'll stop finding the word but funny but that day is not today and i'd be pretty goddamn surprised if it was tomorrow very funny yeah other than that you get a uh, overmind bonking princess power on the head it makes the noise bonk that's pretty good but uh if the word but is a sound effect it's gonna win yeah that was a pretty clear winner my backup was for being realistic, I guess. Although I've never heard the noise, so I don't know if it's realistic, but realistic based on how it sounds in the movies of uh, bullets ricocheting in an alleyway, which made the noise ping, wing. Yep, in really tiny font, too. Mm -hmm. Tiny little bullets, probably. Yeah, derringers. That's probably what the cops are carrying in this alternate universe. Mm. Probably the alternate version of uh, Magnum Force was uh, Derringer Ping. <laughs> Starring Clint Eastwood, he takes out a tiny little gun. Uh-huh, uh-huh. This is a twenty-two Derringer, the smallest handgun in the world. It only holds one bullet, so it's really easy to count how many I fired. Let's have ourselves a Battle of the Band Names! In this issue, what band names were you able to find in the text? Oh boy, I got a few from this issue. I did too, I didn't think I was going to, and then I, I ended up finding uh, a, a few of them. I think I've got three, and that's only because I was very disappointed to learn that Mind Molders was already taken. Mm. What ones were you able to find? So, I guess, question, can we take a phrase, and it's the band's name, but they usually use it, like, in its, uh, like, abbreviated form? Okay, what's a band that generally abbreviates their name? Uh, 
I guess REM is an, is an acronym. <laughs> right. Nobody ever says rapid eye movement to refer to them, if that's what that stands for. Yeah, it might stand for something else for them. Yeah. EPMD? <laughs> Does that stand for something? I'll allow it. All right, so I have pure mental energy, who they just have like a PME on their posters, kind of like a DRI or GBH. But sure. instead of punk rock, pure mental energy is just like really high energy dance music, like EDM. Oh, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Pure mental energy. I like it. There's an indie rock band, I think, probably, that is called Tape Surfer. Whoa. I think Tape Surfer sounds pretty good. Mm. I don't know why I think that is kind of a lo-fi indie band, but I do think that. Kind of downer music, too. Kind of like the Great Lakes Swimmers. Oh, okay, I got, I got one like that, too. What do you got? For my version of the Great Lakes Swimmers, I have My Tower of Isolation. Oh, boy. My Tower of Isolation. Wow. They recorded uh, one of their records in, like, an old grain silo, I think. Great Lakes Swimmers did, so it has a kind of really, like, reverby, sad, echoey sound. Oh. And so that's what made me think of a Tower of Isolation. That's really good. Thank you. On the opposite end of the spectrum, I had Power Prism. Oh, nice. Which is like glam metal, but with a pro-gay rights agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that they tour with uh, one of the options I had, too, which is a similar kind of music, and this band is called Moon Madness. Oh, Moon Madness is good. I could also see them being like a science fiction-themed second-wave ska band, like from the two-tone era. Uh-huh. The other one that I had, kind of high concept, but uh, they're called Engersburgsfur. <laughs> oh, man. E-N-G-R-Z-Z-B-X-Z-F-R-R. They have very high concept music, and nobody's sure how to say or pronounce their name, but they were very inspired from that time when Prince changed his name to that unpronounceable symbol. Mm-hmm. What kind of music do you think they have? Oh, they just sing about James Joyce. <laughs> okay. All the time. Got it. <laughs> like every other track is just noise rock and then mixed with uh, just yelling about James Joyce. Enger mm-hmm. Berksfer. Did you have any others? Yeah, I got one last one. And gosh, I think these guys are probably a punk band or some kind of loud, maybe not aggressive, but high energy music. And they're called Alien Scapegoat. Is there not a band already called Alien Scapegoat? I googled it and I didn't find one. I believe you. Man, I think that might have to be the choice. Oh yeah? You like the Alien Scapegoat? I like Alien Scapegoat a lot. I also like Tower of Isolation. I think those are probably my two favorites. What's your favorite? Oh gosh. What was the Prism one that you had again? Power Prism. Power Prism has a good ring to it too. Yeah. Do we know who we're going up against? We do not. I actually need to figure that out pretty soon. I, th- I think I goofed and skipped a week, so I think we're going to have to have a three-way battle to figure out who the winner is that these guys are going to go up against. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I feel like in terms of just like the catchiness of the names, Alien Scapegoat, My Tower of Isolation, and Power Prism are all pretty good. Mm-hmm. So I guess depending on which ones are going up against, which one has the most, I don't know, like... What would make the audience pick it, like, how easy it is to remember, how visually evocative the name is? 
Corey, when it comes to our listeners, we don't know what these people are capable of. They are powerful. They are a powerful audience. They could do anything. I've given up trying to predict them. All right. You want to go with the scapegoat? I think Alien Scapegoat is probably the strongest selection of these. Although I do really like Tower of Isolation. Mm. I think I maybe have a better handle on what type of music Tower of Isolation plays. Mm. My Tower of Isolation. Yeah, I think that'll resonate with people. My Tower of Isolation? Yeah, let's let's go with that. Although Moon Madness are going to be sad. Moon Madness is pretty fun, too. With an exclamation point, of course. Well, of course it's got an exclamation point, Corey. I'm not an idiot. I didn't mean to imply that. Well... Corey, what was your favorite panel in this issue? I'm tempted to go with Party Ham on page one. I had that as an option for me, too, only I called it Ham Slice, I think partly because I've been watching Forged in Fire a lot, and that is one of the knife tests that they often do, (laughs) is the Ham Slice. It will kill. Indeed. But I think I actually slightly preferred Big Head Sweaty Steve a few pages later when they accidentally summon Steve by thinking of him, and he does a reverse fat boys and ruins their party. Oh, man. Yeah, that's the worst. But it is a beautifully drawn panel, and I actually really like the depiction of Steve being all sweaty and looking like he is very taxed when his giant black and white head shows up in the party. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you definitely get his sense of exertion. In contention, I also had on page 13 what I called uh, the Squadron Surprised, and that's Ooh. right after Evil Kyle does his big reveal about there being no communist conspiracy or whatever conspiracy. Yeah, no, that is a very good one. I also do have a, a big group shot one, but it is the Moon Madness one, the, the final page, which is the preview for the Moon Madness issue that is upcoming. You see the cool lunar technology that Overmind has built with the brightly colored pink missile silo and then all of the fancy high-tech missiles that are being built on it but it's framed by hyperion and then the floating heads of all of the defenders and it just looks like the opening pages or even the cover of an old justice league issue and i really appreciate that little nod to the source material for this book i thought that was really fun yeah i actually had that one too and i also called it moon madness I love the orange utility vehicles that look like they just have like a giant, I don't know, suction cup or magnet (laughs) or something. And then these goofy little arms Mm -hmm. hanging off the sides. Yeah, it is a really cool looking panel. And I got to say, it does make me excited to read the next issue that I must be here for, Moon Madness, which I would be so surprised if it was actually called Moon Madness, but I don't care. Mm. I like that panel a lot. I think maybe my favorite is still Big Head Sweaty Steve, but it's a good one. Mm -hmm. I think I'll go with Moon Madness then. Very nice. Now, Corey, we both know that the Hulk rules. But in this issue, what are the Hulk's rules? These may resonate with you. I think you had some experience around a lot of carefully maintained beards, but the Hulk's rules, he he just basically took a page from everybody on the the parallel Earth. And the takeaway is, if someone has put, obviously, a lot of hard work into grooming a beard very meticulously into a way that is meant to um, make you look more evil, and you feel creeped out by it, just 
get the heck out of there. You don't have to stick around. Yeah. If somebody's got an evil, creepy beard, run away. When someone's facial hair shows you who they are, believe them. Yeah, exactly. Trust your gut. I think that is a very good message for the Hulk to take away from this comic. I had him learning a different lesson, and it's one from the opening pages of the book. And that is that when you are in a shared living situation, any change of residence necessitates a house meeting at the very least. Mm. We see that the Beast and Vera have moved into the house while Patsy is gone. I know that the Beast is Patsy's old friend. Hellcat and the Beast go way back. But still, unless she is subletting to him, or they have just absolutely no way of contacting her and they're behind on rent or something, like, I get it, maybe there's an emergency situation, but you don't move someone into the house or move out of the house without consulting everyone. Have a goddamn house meeting. Yeah, good point. That seems a little loosey-goosey. Indeed. Maybe Dolly Donahue was able to act as Patsy's proxy, but, uh, I don't know, it still seems pretty iffy to me. I agree. It's a couple good rules there. Well done, the Hulk. Hmm. I wonder if someday he'll release a special edition. <laughs> a rule-a-day calendar, maybe? Something like that. Yeah. Well, Corey, I have just one more question I have to ask you. In the year of our Lord, 1982, and the month of our Lord, October, what Wong doings was Wong doing? So in October of 82, we find a nearly frantic Steve running around the Sanctum Sanctimonious trying to figure out what this awful persistent sound is. It has been going on for hours and hours and hours. And he looks up and down all over, finally tracks it down to Wong's study. Wong has a little you know, area where he keeps some of his electronic gadgets and musical instruments and those things that have come up in other Wong portions of the show. And he sees the strange device sitting on a counter, spitting out page after connected page, you know, making this loud noise. And it turns out that it was the Apple dot matrix printer oh. that, uh, that came out in October of 82. And it has just been going and going. And um, Steve's in there. He doesn't know what it is. He's trying to figure out what's going on. And Wong comes in and explains it to him and, Turns out he's just, you know, printing out a copy of Finnegan's Wake that he, but he's oh. found him on the ARPNET, uh, you know, pre, <laughs> uh, pre-internet. And Steve just is not really happy about the whole thing, hates the noise, is really disappointed that Wong paid almost 700 bucks for it, which in today's dollars is around $1,900. Whoa. Anyway, Wong, of course, eventually finishes, starts trying to make sense of the book, probably gives up after a little bit. But Steve then learns that uh, the printer has a very special use for him, which is printing out some of that ASCII art of uh, his little flame ghosts that he's learned to uh, create. Wow. I was sure that at least one of them was going to be printing a banner with some clip art that says happy birthday. The main use of those as near as I can remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure that'll that'll happen uh, as long as that um, fabric ribbon that's soaked with ink that those mm-hmm. things use doesn't run out. But at around uh, 70 lines per minute, the banner's going to take a while. It sure is. Well, that is one thing that Wong and Steve were up to, but it wasn't the only doings that they were doing. In fact, the events of October 1982 brought Wong and Steve out to the Pacific Northwest and into our uh, neck of the woods. I think it's come up before that Wong is a big fan of uh, 
architecture. Oh. <laughs> probably. I, I see where this is going. And so he decided he wanted to see, he'd heard great things in early October, the Portland Building, designed by Michael Graves, opened in Portland, Oregon, right next to the courthouse. It is considered the first postmodern building. It is a landmark in uh, modern architecture. And Wong was just really excited to see it. And so he was like, Steve, come on, we got, we got to go check this out. So they did. And then, uh, you know, it was later in the month. Steve was, I think, still a little bit on edge from listening to all the dot matrix printing. <laughs> and they had a few too many Henry Weinhards. <laughs> they ended up going to a basketball game. They saw the Portland Trailblazers season opener. And Steve was pretty drunk. And there was a name of a trailblazer on that team that he could just not get over. The point guard on the team was named Fat Lever. And Steve thought that was fucking hilarious. On the trip over, he had been listening a lot to Marvin Gaye's new album mm. and the song Sexual Healing. Mm -hmm. And so he just kept going, Wong, my fat lever needs some sexual healing. <laughs> and he would not stop making that joke. Wong got pretty goddamn tired of that. I bet. But that is the Wong doings that Wong <laughs> was doing in October of 1982. What a month. Indeed. And what an episode we've just recorded, Corey. We'll see. If you would like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at Titan Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. Or, as this is the future, we can be reached electronically. Can you imagine such a thing? At ttwasteland at gmail.com. We're also up on various aspects of the social media. I haven't been as active lately, but uh, maybe I'll try to dip in a little bit more. But either way, you can get into touch with us there. We're on the Twitter, the Facebook, the Tumblr, LinkedIn. You could hire us to do a job. You know, I'm available for voiceover work if you want to hire me to do some of that. Mm -hmm. Although you should probably just write me an email for that because I don't actually know how to check the LinkedIn. Oh, it, it would send me a message and then I would send you a message. Has anybody uh, sent a message via the LinkedIn? Uh, no, no. I think one person <laughs> has looked at the page. <laughs> that might have been me. I was trying to figure out how to look at it. I think people just think we're joking. I mean, we are joking, but it does exist. Yeah, we don't actually have a seacaptainsonly.com profile yet. Mm. You should probably get up on there. Probably. I mean, most sea captains aren't going to date themselves. Nope. Well, yeah, they probably are. Some of them. Well, then, yeah, this is a lonely time out at sea. Sure. But hey, if you can't find us there, there's one more place you can look. And that's deep inside your heart. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? I haven't made a tuna melt for a long time. Mmm. One of the rare instances, I feel like, where cheese and a form of seafood actually work. I know people will fight me on that, but I stand by it. I believe another instance would be pretty much any kind of pesto. Pesto with seafood goes pretty well, I think. Mm. And a pesto cream sauce, even, with, yeah. with seafood usually goes pretty well. Maybe I'll try a pesto tuna melt. Some Whoa! Fresh-baked uh, sourdough. But yeah, you're right. There's so much about a tuna melt that seems like it shouldn't work. Like cheese, seafood, hot mayonnaise. But you know what? It's fucking delicious. That's right. We grew up calling them skitch witches. Hmm. 
I think maybe they just called them that at my mom's like cafeteria when she was in college. And mm -hmm. so that was just what I thought tuna melts were always called. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I could maybe go for a skitchwitch. Sure. I think in people's hearts this week, I'm probably, though, going to be spending most of my time just saying, where are the fat boys? <laughs> uh, just in case, you know, uh -huh. it'd be great if I could summon them. I don't know, man. You might want to, like you said earlier, reserve that for uh, emergency situations. Yeah, but. Although they'd be pretty impressed if they showed up in our listeners' hearts. Yeah, no kidding. And you could make them a skitch witch. Yeah, there we go. They'd like that, I'm pretty sure. All right, so that's what we're going to be doing in people's hearts this week. Also, frankly, you know, I, I was making fun of Steve for it, but I'm probably going to be giggling about the name Fat Lever. Yeah, I was when you first said fat, I thought you were going in that Steve joke direction. It's a pretty good name. Mm -hmm. If you would like to support the show financially, you can check us out at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do... You get access to a whole bunch of bonus material that we make exclusively for our donors. Uh, among that material is the monthly podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. We have now covered, I think, every Steve Gerber written issue of Howard the Duck. Wow. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff up there. There's also a bunch of bonus videos that I've made, mostly reviews of classic comic books, but there's a couple other things in there. There's also some bonus podcasts that I've made with Corey and some other friends that is uh, just up there to uh, thank you guys for donating. And you know what? While I'm here, I would just like to uh, verbally thank you for donating because it makes a huge difference and helps make it possible for us to keep doing the show. So uh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in addition to those those thoughtful donations, all the other communication and things that you guys have shared with us have just makes you feel good to, to see that engagement. It, it really does. Yeah, thank you. Corey, what's a way that people can support the show in a non-financial way? They can leave a review wherever they get a podcast. That's a pretty good idea. What would be an example of something that a review could say? I like this show better than postmodern architects like the Portland building? Five stars. High praise indeed. Mm -hmm. What do you think of the Portland building? Um, I was impressed that our city has like the first one. I actually had a, a class in college where that was one of the things we went and like walked around and looked at it and talked about the differences between modern and postmodern architecture, but I don't know. I think I might be more of a, a boring modernist. I'd like big shiny size skyscrapers and the colorful tiles and stuff don't really do it for me. I think it's fine. It is weird that it's there because I feel like when, especially when I first started coming out to Portland, when mom moved here in the late eighties and I was just a little kid, it felt like so much of the architecture in Portland just seemed to be gray and beige slabs of concrete. So it was weird to see something that was in such opposition to that, mm -hmm. where most of the buildings here just looked like a box that another building came in. It was nice to see something that was that different, but I don't know, either way. Yeah, and it was it was intentional that I was reading about it a little bit because I was thinking of maybe using that one for the Wong also. And, you know, the city council put out a, I don't know what you call it, like a request for a quote or a competition or something specifically to have a, a postmodern building so that 
there would be something different downtown than the, the mm. usual stuff. But boy, the whole project turned out to be kind of a, a boondoggle where it leaked and they had to replace a bunch of stuff. And actually, it just finished last year, right, as the pandemic uh, happened. So didn't go so smooth. What will probably go smoother than that is you leaving us a review. Oh, yeah. Five stars. This show is funnier than the name Fat Lever. Five stars. There you go. Concise. I like it. What's another way people can uh, support the show or spread its word? Tell your mother. Tell your father. Send a telegram. Tell people about the show. Yeah, that's a good idea. Send telegrams. That's fun. Mm -hmm. Send just... a singing telegram. Mm, maybe wait until Omicron gets a little... Oh, right. Good point. Better. You could just drive around with a bullhorn yelling about the show or broadcasting an episode of it over the speakers <laughs> on your car like in the Blues Brothers. Oh, my goodness. What a way to win people over. Everyone would enjoy that, mm -hmm. obviously. You should probably do it late at night after all the good television's on, you know, to, to be polite. You could knock on your neighbor's door and then leave them a note that you know, passive-aggressively tells them to listen to the show. These are terrible ideas. <laughs> Please don't park in this spot. By the way, have you heard this podcast? That would be a great way to spread the word. As you are leaving a passive-aggressive note on your neighbor questioning their parking practices, just addend it with a little uh, section that says, also, you should check out the podcast Tighten Up the Deep. I give it five stars. It might be a little bit too sophisticated for you, but you could try it anyway. That is sure to win them over and uh, get us some new fans. <laughs> Probably some good reviews. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> terrible Parker's welcome. That's our motto. <laughs> These assholes left a passive aggressive note on my car. Five stars. Have you had anybody uh, leave a passive aggressive note on your car about your parking? I have not, but um, I did make the mistake of enabling alerts from that next door app on my phone for a minute oh no and uh saw a few a few things about that boy people love to argue on the internet that is the thing they sure do well it's nice to know that that is something you can use next door for i thought it was just for racism but uh nice to know that oh, it no. has other uses as well yeah it's got everything <laughs> well until next week um fat lever <laughs> <laughs> man do you think if fat lever ran into somebody it would make the noise but how would it not good point bye, bye. <laughs> and they knew it If you would like to support the show, fight <laughs> fart noise with my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Well, you have your camera off. I wanted to make sure you knew I was making it with my mouth. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Swap watch. Swatch! The new wave is Swiss watches. Swatch! Swatch.